Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The latest temporary exhibition at Nanonagel Place celebrates the continued use of the site on Douglas Street in Cork as a convent for 250 years. It's called Changing Habits, 250 Years of Convent Life. Using rich archival records of the Ursuline and Presentation Sisters, the exhibition also includes artefacts from the collection of objects held by the Presentation Sisters themselves, and it features recreations of a complete set of nuns' habits through the years. So in order to follow the story of the exhibition, I spoke to two of the sisters, first Sister Patricia and then Sister Rosari, and I also got to talk to the dressmaker Sam Wynne, who recreated the nuns' habits specially for the exhibition, and finally to Danielle O'Donovan, who brought the whole thing together with the sisters. Sister Patricia, you have just been looking at the exhibition that's taking place in this chapel. What's the name of this chapel so people will know this where to find it? This is now the Goldie Chapel. Yeah. The architect was, was Goldie was the architect, but in my time it was our convent chapel. Yes. So we have very wonderful memories of this chapel. Everything happened in this chapel. We made our we were received here into the congregation. We were finally professed in this very chapel. But this exhibition is wonderful because it brings back so many memories. When I was sitting there in the seat this morning, I happened to look across at the photograph and there I saw myself dressed <laughs> as a postulant. I won't be rude and ask you, when does that photograph date Taken like? in 1953. 1953. So I was a postulant then, 18 years of age. My goodness. And it makes the whole exhibition real, I think, because that's the, the dress there being displayed that the postulants wore. It's just ah, there beside you. Yes. So that makes the link between that and the photograph. Yes, and myself, I suppose, yes. You would have had a lot more company in those days because oh, there were a lot had, more callings. There were a lot more sisters entering at that time. Yes. There were, and that made life kind of easier, I suppose, in yeah. one way because we shared our joys and our sorrows together. We supported one another, and that was lovely, I think, in the Navisit, yes. Did you get to move around, or did you just stay in the one place? Oh, I didn't. I mean, I moved around very much. Yeah. I trained as a primary teacher and taught for a while in this school and in other schools around the country. And I also went into administration then, and it meant that I was living in Formoy for a while in the provincial house and also in Clonmel. And then from there I had to visit our missions, so I travelled a lot all over the world. (laughs) Yeah. There's no such thing as retirement, really, is there? No, there isn't. (laughs) No, no, indeed. No. It's a vocation for life, isn't it? For life, it is. That's right. 
So when you look back at this, you see all the lives that have been devoted to the service of education. Absolutely tremendous. And our past pupils love to come back and yeah. share stories with us. Tell me, when you came into this room, did you see any of this beforehand? Was this all a big surprise, this a- apart from the photograph? Well, <laughs> just seeing it all together, the finished yeah. product was yeah. a surprise. But we were involved in the planning of it, yes. which was especially the different habits that we wore over the years, the presentation sisters, you know, so we were in the planning of it yeah. with the team. So we were very involved all along the way. But to see the end result is wonderful, you know. If you were to go back, what would be your earliest memory of the order? I think the wonderful memory I would have is the care for the poor. Yeah. You know, that, that was always very evident. The poor children were treated so respectfully and yeah. beautifully, and nobody knew everybody was treated equally. And, for example, in the secondary school, we were suppo- it was before free education, and there were fees supposed to be paid, but... South Prez worked it out in such a way that everybody got an envelope, but it didn't matter what you put into the envelope. You didn't have to put anything in if you couldn't afford it, and everybody was treated equally. That's a nice story and a true story, yeah. So you were there long before the government thought of the idea. Thought of the the free education (laughs) we were. (laughs) That's right, indeed. What would you say to anybody who's coming along to this exhibition? What do you think they'll take away from it? Oh, I said I hope people will come and that they'll enjoy it and that they'll bring back good memories, the good memories they had in school and the happy memories. They'll also feel that, oh, they were all part of the story, really. Past pupils love coming here and, as I say, we look forward to meeting them. Well, I see a lot of small, young, smiling faces around me at the moment. Right. And one face in front of me. Sister Patricia, thank you very, very much. You're very welcome indeed. Thank you. I see that the nuns are calling you affectionately Sam. It's (laughs) like you've become friends over the last while, haven't you, working on this project? Yes, absolutely. And they've been marvellous with the information they've given me because trying to work from photographs and descriptions is very difficult. The sisters have been absolutely marvellous in saying, oh, this is how we put it on and this is what it looked like and giving me information from many years ago. (laughs) This is a most unique project. Have you ever done anything quite like it? No. No, No, it's been a real privilege. Yeah. I've been absolutely delighted to to be a part of it. It's a huge privilege. Let your work speak for itself. If we just go over and look at one of the pieces that you'd like to talk about. (laughs) Okay. Because what we're looking at when we come in the door... And the nuns were saying earlier on that they have to remind themselves that they're not real. <laughs> yes. And this is a postulant, the postulant dress that was worn. And the sisters here remember wearing it. And it, it's my favourite one because I just, I love the, it has white cuffs on it, a little white collar. And, and a very simple bow around the neck. Yes, know? yes, they had their little black velvet bow. Yeah. And... This cap is a replica of one that was in the archive. Yes. Now, these sisters didn't wear something like this. It's older than their vintage, but it is a a reasonably accurate replica of the one. The one in the archive, what really charmed me about it is it has a red cap inside, a red knitted cap inside that was used as the base to make the external cap black. So when you take it off, it's got a red cap inside, (laughs) which I thought was really lovely. Because, obviously, it's all just black and white. There's no colour. So this, so. <laughs> is, this is a lace, black lace cap. Yes. It fits on the head. It fits on the head and it has a little lace veil. Ah, I didn't see back. that. Yes. That was hidden away. That hangs yes. down the back. 
So mm. it looks rather like something that would be very simply worn at a wedding, you know? Um, yes, yes, only perhaps not in black. <laughs> ex- exactly, no. But but, uh, yes, it's, it almost reminds me of like a Victorian morning cap or something, yes, which is yeah. a, a little odd. But uh, this is something that certainly one postulant wore at some point because there is, there is one mm-hmm. in the archives. And they had these lovely little black capes and they're really beautiful dresses. They um, kind of remind me, I suppose, of a soutane that would have been worn by, say, priests and brothers as yes. well, the, the top part of it anyway. Yes, yeah. it, yes it is quite similar. Yeah. And they had, they had a, a petticoat underneath it that went down to their ankles as well. Okay. And what's fascinated me about some of these things, it's, it's a small thing, but it's the pockets yeah. that they had. <laughs> and the pockets weren't in the dress, they were in the petticoat, and you had a gap in the seam, yeah. at the side seam, to get into your pockets in your petticoat. And that was the same in the habits as well. And I think that comes from the very old habits when, before the time when pockets were actually put in garments, they were separate things that you tied around your waist and you accessed them through. How come they held so much? Yeah. Well, that, yes, <laughs> that was it, because I made some replicas. Again, there's one in the archive, and I don't know what vintage it is, but yeah. I made replica ones. And it has two pockets. It sort of hangs down, quite far down your side. Wow. You tie it on, and it has two pockets in. And one of the sisters said she remembered one of the older nuns used to always produce pencils and things from this magic pocket she had. <laughs> uh, all sorts of things, yes. Sam, what's your normal work? I'm a costume maker. Yes. So I do make costumes, but nothing like this before. I usually work for pantomime, and I also use, yeah. I work with puppets and things. Who got in touch with you, and how long did this take place? Oh, it's this going on since April. A colleague of mine... Joan Hickson, who is a costume designer who I've worked with on a, I know a lot Joan of... Well. You know Joan well. Yeah, yes. I've worked with her on a lot of projects. We did a small amount of work for, for Danielle previously. Yeah. And Danielle contacted Joan, said, would you like to do this project? Joan said, I haven't time, but Sam will do it for you. I'm sure she probably, if she has time. <laughs> so, fast forward to today. What did you build in the end? Well, a habit from the sort of 1800s, which mm. is the one behind you there, yeah. which was all done from a book because obviously there's no pictures from then, and there was, there was very specific instructions as to how the habit was to be made, for the most part, and then there was gaps where I had to make it up, mm-hmm. because I didn't know what to do. All the undergarments and everything I made for that, because it's not just the habit. They wore chemise, and they wore stays, and they wore a petticoat, and then they wore the habit. And then they have their gamp, and they have the, all the things that go on their head, which was extraordinary, because it's all held together with pins, and looking at a photograph, you'd never think that. I would never have been able to work out how the headpieces worked unless one of the nuns had sat down with me and said, this is what you did to get this thing on. <laughs> because you just couldn't understand how it goes and the, the different elements to it and how it stays together. There was a postulance. There is a, a habit from the sort of 1950s, 1960s, which was a more modern version of the 1800s one. Yeah. It was still the same kind of, made from the same fabric and the same kind of idea, but changed. there were subtle changes. And then we have the, the next one up where they went into something that was actually very similar to the postulant's dress. Then the habits became more generic after that. I'm just reading there behind you on one of the panels that the formal habit as such didn't exist in the early days. And when they did come up with something, they, they wanted something that was very understated because it had to do with they were being persecuted. Yes, and... Uh... I find it kind of I find it difficult to associate the habits that I made with understated yeah. because they're really they're quite um, 
how shall I say, um, imposing. And, you know, there, I had mine dressed, I had one of these dressed in my studio for a while, and every time I walked in there, <laughs> I was doing a double take, you know, because she was quite imposing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly created a certain amount of respect anyway. Like, yes, know, yeah, yeah. but then I suppose these sisters were closed orders, so they weren't out, so people didn't see them. Exactly. Not until more recently. Yes. But I have huge respect for the women who wore these because they're made from very heavy wool. Yes. And they have a very heavy wool petticoat underneath, and it's not just the habit, there's another layer of wool underneath that. And they wore it all year round. And one of the sisters told me actually here, because I was talking to her this morning about putting on all the, the veil pieces, the things that go onto the head, and she said, we had a prayer for each piece we put on, and it was a privilege to put it on, which I thought was really lovely because I hadn't heard that before. Well, Um. (laughs) Sam, it's been a privilege to talk to you. (laughs) Thank you. And for you to be able to tell us what it was like to, I suppose, become part of their history and to to recreate it and pass it on for generations to come. It's been an amazing project for me, really, absolutely. Okay. Thoroughly enjoyable. (laughs) Thank you, Sam. Thank you very much. Thank you. Sister Rosari, they call you the archivist. (laughs) What, What does the archivist do here? Well, the role of the archivist really is to collect, preserve and make archival documents available to the public. Okay. Do you have many sources to draw from? Yes, we have. We have many sources to draw from, both within Ireland and some from our missions abroad as well. Oh, excellent. Now, for this particular exhibition... What did you gather together? The documents which have been used and the artefacts in this exhibition are mainly from the South Presentation Convent collection here, which is our first and oldest collection. What's unusual about this particular collection is not only did you find stuff that existed in the past and in history, but you invented some stuff as well that never existed before. You created some new, new pieces for the archives. I suppose we have recreated the old habits, really. Yeah. We had parts of them, but there were no full habits from any era fully assembled. So we took out the parts that we had and we worked as a team together to put them together into the form they're in now. Which is extraordinary because what I've learned already is that they were very hard-wearing, thick habits. Yes, they were made of serge mainly. And they were built to last a lifetime. That's right. (laughs) It's extraordinary that you had to rebuild them again to last another generation. Hopefully. How did that make you feel when you saw them exhibited for the first time? Did it bring back memories? Well, I entered myself in 1978, so by the time I entered, sisters weren't wearing the habits which we have recreated now. There was a more modern version. Yeah, yeah. I had just seen them in photographs. Yes. Like, I went to school to the presentation sisters in Bandon, but that was in the 1970s after Vatican II, so the style of the habits had been modernised by then. When you look at it today now, when you see the comparison over change of habit. Yes, there is a very big difference. Yeah. What would you say to anybody who's coming along to see this exhibition? What would you ask them to look out for in particular? Something that caught your eye? The history of the school here on the display boards Mm. and the extracurricular activities that were available in the school, especially in the line of games and music. 
there is a lovely tribute to Sister Rosario Allen and the work which she did in the school here to promote the interest in music. And many of the past pupils gained a lifelong interest in music and they performed in the Opera House, they performed at different choral festivals in the city. Pupils got opportunities to be on stage to perform, which helped them for skills in life afterwards and gave them self-confidence. Elmarie was telling me that herself and her mother were very familiar with the nuns every year in the Corella in City Hall. That's right. Um, what's your memories of that? Well, I see, I was from Bandon, so uh, I wasn't really involved in okay. that in the city at that time. You didn't come to the city that often. But yeah. we got oppor- equal opportunities in Bandon, especially in the secondary school, from the presentation sisters that taught us there. Did you pass on what you learned? Well, I hope so, because I became a primary teacher myself, and I was a primary teacher for 30 years. (laughs) I taught at two different stages, Ireland in Cork, Kerry, Yall and Farnry in Cork City, and then I taught in four different places in Pakistan for 18 years. So being in Pakistan gave me many opportunities to pass on what I myself had received in my education from the Presentation Sisters, especially in the line of faith and value. And then after that, I spent some months in Zambia and Zimbabwe. My goodness. So I got an opportunity to see the work of the sisters there in those countries as well. And it made a big difference to people's lives, didn't it? It did, because in in Zambia especially, I was in western Zambia for a few months in a place called Mongo, where the Presentation Sisters run a Cheshire home for children with disabilities. And it's the only home of that kind in the whole province of western Zambia. So the sisters provide a wonderful medical and educational service to the children there who have disabilities. It was just wonderful. A physiotherapist comes in a couple of times to the children. A team of doctors come from Lusaka a couple of times a year to perform operations on the children who need it. And they get wonderful love and care from the sisters and the staff there. Well, you've completed another mission here today, the history, passing it on to people, lest they forget the work that you've done as an order over the generations and the difference you've made on people's lives, all generations of people all over the world. May it continue. And thank you again, Sister Rosario. You're welcome. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Danielle. In a way, you have an overview of the whole project because you're pulling all the various strands together. And we've spoken an awful lot about the history of the order and 
uh, how much the world has helped all the generations in various parts of the world, various continents, the poor all over the world, even the poor in this city. And it all kind of comes home now when you get to see the habit being recreated in this exhibition and what it meant, not just to local children, but to children all over the world. But you also recreated some pictures that couldn't be taken because there were no photographs. Absolutely. You know, and you've, you've hit the nail on the head. It's a really complex site. Mm-hmm. And 200, over 250 years of history, how do you kind of untangle that yeah. and make it really clear for people? And I suppose that's when creativity comes into play. And so we commissioned a, an artist called Brian Gallagher to make some drawings to help people understand how the site evolved over time and how the kind of habit evolved over time as well. So the first building here, the one that we're kind of celebrating the foundation of, is 250 years old, 1771. Wow. And Nano built that for the Erstline sisters when she invited them from Paris. But it so quickly became engulfed in other buildings that there's no... It's so hard to picture what it'd been like <laughs> as this standalone building, like, hidden in the middle of the block. And so we were able to kind of make these great collages for Brian to say, can you draw it as it might have been? And he did. And so that's magical to have that image now of Nano showing the Erstlines to this standalone little convent just off Douglas Street, you know. So we have that image and, and others of of the garden with postulants and the novices on the novices' walk and kind of showing the site before even the Goldie Chapel was built. So it's kind of, we peeled back the layers of history a bit, but used other people's creativity as well to help us to kind of get make those pictures. One thing, my abiding memory of this morning will be the, the pride that these nuns have in their work and the respect for the habit that they wore. You, you can actually, you can feel that when you read the exhibition, see the exhibition, look at the pictures, look at the drawings. You can see, you can just see in the smiles in the nuns' faces that they're proud of the, the life that they've given to others. Yeah, there's a heritage of giving, yeah. which is really interesting, you know, and the exhibition has these beautiful habits which you can look at and touch and have a feel of even to see what the wool feels like and really interesting panel texts and images and we've got artefacts that have come out of the archive but we're also working on some videos that will just have the sisters talking about it, what it was like to wear the habit and it, you're right, you know, it didn't mean so much to them. There was a prayer to put your veil on in the morning and... Yes. You were wearing a uniform that made you kind of socially recognisable as somebody who you could ask for help. And they're almost saying, you know, now that we only have our badge and our ring, it's harder for people to tell that we're a sister, you know? (laughs) And that actually the sisters who were talking, Sister Patricia and Sister Mary both said, people still manage to work it out and they still get called (laughs) sister. But but they're so proud, I think, of, of what that habit was around the world as a symbol of people who who really were there to help and to educate, because that's what the presentation sisters, that's what their life's work has been. OK, what are the plans for opening? When are you going to open officially? And how long will this run for? The exhibition launches on Sunday, the 1st of August, and it will run until the end of November. So mm. there's plenty of opportunity to come and see the exhibition. And as always, it's two for the price of one. If you haven't been before, you get to see both at the same time. And, you know, for people who have been to the exhibition before and liked it, there's, there's a whole other layer of content to come and engage with. So things that we've never shown before are out for the first time. This is kind of like Vatican City over here. It's a little community <laughs> within a city. I, I implore people to come over here. I mean, just the chapel itself is magic. It's, it's an oasis of peace within a community. 
that has built up around it and you, you can feel it you can feel the good vibes here they're very positive they're very good vibes it's really calm and serene yeah. and then hopefully engaging at the same time <laughs> there are so many reasons to come and I probably will be shocked for not mentioning the bookshop yeah. and our shop down down the front I know Shane our director describes us as a little Italian hilltop village hidden in the middle of Cork and, yeah. uh, so you, you might not get to go on holidays to Italy this summer but come and see us yes. it's nearly as good isn't it Carl? isn't it amazing <laughs> it always amazes me what we find in our own backyard absolutely Danielle thank you thanks so much Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy so I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy terms and conditions apply see site for details